welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, we are discussing the emotional issue of immigration. This, of course, is a subject that's complex and political and one that often has a lot of misinformation out there. There's a stalemate right now between Democrats and Republicans and what can be done. So the question today is what's really happening at the border? What what are the data points? What exactly is being done um, when it comes to border agents and asylum seekers? And is there anything that our politicians can do? Well, our guest today will outline what she thinks Congress should be doing. Sarah Carter is a national and international award-winning investigative reporter whose stories have Range from national security, terrorism, immigration, and frontline coverage on the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Iraq. Sarah Carter is also an investigative reporter and a Fox News contributor and, of course, a visiting fellow right here at the Independent Women's Forum. And you can find her stories at sarahcarter.com. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's so great to be with you, Beverly. Thank you for having me on. And I was excited about doing this topic of immigration because this is an issue that is affecting affecting everyone in this country. So many people have opinions on what should be happening at the border, what should be taking place when it comes to border security. And so I just I want to start with I think where people have finally come to consensus and the consensus being that there is a crisis at the border um, seems that Democrats and not just Republicans think it's a crisis. So explain to us in your reporting and you've been working on this issue and talking about it. How bad is it really at the border? It's well, Beverly, it's been terrible. It's been a crisis for decades. I know I've been reporting on this for for quite a long time and uh, you know, I remember seeing when uh, the the drug cartels were having extraordinary wars, like literally battles inside Nuevo Laredo, inside Tijuana, inside uh, Matamoros, Agua Prieta, all of the various border towns along the U.S. Mexico border. And you know, I, I spent a lot of time in some of those, in some of those small towns or colonias, as they call them, and watched as these drug cartels utilized our porous border to not only move in uh, narcotics and other contraband, but the human trafficking issue. And I can tell you, this this was more than 15 years ago. And I was reporting on this under Vincente Fox. Um, we've seen extraordinary uh, actions taken by former President Calderon and Peña Nieto, and now we have Obrador in, in Mexico, and we haven't seen it get better. In fact, it's only gotten worse. The, the, I think the tragedy here is that it was used as a political football. Um, anytime somebody, and I, I, I was a recipient of this just for a small bit, uh, you know, tried to report on the national security threats at the U.S.-Mexico border, people would say, you're anti-immigrant. You don't care about the plight of the people coming uh, through the border and what they've suffered and how they're coming here to find a better life. I would say, no, I very much do care about the plight of the people coming through the U.S.-Mexico border to the United States, even those that are, you know, traveling here illegally. But they are, they are being basically abused, taken advantage of by some of the most nefarious, horrific drug organizations that have existed in modern-day history, from the Sinaloa cartel to Beltran Leyva 
to the new rise of El, El Menche, which is a new group called Nuevo Generacion, which is one of the biggest cartels in Mexico right now. Uh, they have suffered so much and are failure to basically abide by the laws, U.S. laws, or change laws that aren't working for us and secure the U.S. Uh, southern border with Mexico has perpetuated this um, horrific humanitarian disaster. Now, as for our own national security, it's so imperative because I was in areas where, you know, some of these drug cartels, they've actually been moving a lot of their narcotics and contraband not only into the United States, but they move them across the waterways into Africa, into Guinea-Bissau, so that they can move their drug flow through Africa into the European continent because they're looking for bigger and better sales, especially if we tighten the screws a little bit on them. That always seems to happen. And dealing with both uh, U.S. intelligence and foreign intelligence, as well as the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency, we have some amazing amazing law enforcement officials and uh, intelligence officials working on these issues, they would tell me, and this was more than 10 years ago, Sarah, you can't imagine the type of connections these drug cartels are making with groups in Africa that are connected to terrorist organizations who could exploit them, either knowingly or unknowingly, exploit them to move in people or, God forbid, some type of weapon into the United States. So this is something that has been at the forefront and the forefront of the minds of people both, well, especially officials in the Department of Defense, at the CIA, um, the FBI, at the Drug Enforcement Agency, who have been concerned about this. It was very difficult to get the media to pay attention to this. People would either come out and call you an alarmist, or they would say, you know, there's just no proof, uh, even though we have documented proof uh, that that these uh, that uh, terrorist organizations have tried to exploit our U.S. border with Mexico, um, so it was a very difficult, very difficult job covering the border. And I'm actually heading to Guatemala uh, very soon. I'll be I'll be there for about a week uh, covering the issues, the crisis in Central America, and what can be done to help mitigate that crisis. What can we do with our partners to the south? Uh, what's being done now and what's not being done. But certainly this is a great time. And going back to your question, this is the first time where we have an administration that isn't willing to cower down, that isn't going to back away, that's going to continue to fight to make this issue an important issue and to fulfill the president's promise that he is going to secure this border. And for the first time, we're finally seeing Democrats and we're finally seeing newspapers such as um, the Washington Post, the New York Times, and others finally talking about the truth, about what's happening there. So I think we have a lot to look forward to uh, when it comes to that. But it's going to be a battle. I mean, this is definitely going to be a battle and something that um, is not going to be easily winnable, but certainly winnable. And I think when you were talking about the political football, I think the group of individuals who have been politicized the most have been the children that are coming here. Um, I want us to start right now with a clip from the acting deputy director of ICE, Matthew Albans, who talks about how bad it really is for the children. Our first and primary goal is the safety and security of these children. Um, These children are being victimized. We know they're being trafficked. We know they're being recycled and sent back across the border numerous times to be rented by these cartels and by these organizations. 
when we hear the acting deputy director of ICE talk about what it means for the children, this sometimes can happen multiple times, not just once coming over, but being used in this way. I think the question we all ask ourselves is, how do we prevent that? How do we stop it? Is it as simple as building a wall or, or closing the border in some other way? How do we prevent it? First, I can't even begin to tell you how tragic these stories are. You know, these children are being used. Many of them are abused. Some of them are sold, rented out. Um, uh, human trafficking is unbelievable. And how I, many children I, are we talking about? Like when we, we say this, I know we don't know numbers exactly, but how many children do we think are being used in this way? Oh, I don't think they have the exact numbers, but I can tell you it's in the hundreds, if not in the thousands. Look, one of the big advertisements that has been happening, I actually broke a story on this recently, um, and Facebook, thankfully, when I reported it to them from my sources in Central America, immediately took down the postings. But let me tell you a little bit about how these drug cartels operate and how little how little they care, and these human trafficking organizations, how little they care about the people that they're moving into this country. Um, they would post, and they were posting, um, within a specific kind of uh, classified listing on Facebook, uh, trips to the U.S., secure trips. We will give special discounts for those of you traveling with children. And why do they say that? In fact, they even finance. And I'll talk to you a little bit about the financing. So they have, they put up these advertisements. People are looking for kids now to bring with them um, an aunt's child or we'll pay you $500 if you let me bring your kid uh, because we'll get a discount or somebody in the neighborhood. Uh, they take these children. Um, these children sometimes are not traveling with their parents or legal guardians. That's happened many times and we've seen cases of that. Uh, they are put into these smuggling rings, which are extraordinarily dangerous. Uh, they're thirsty. They're hungry. Uh, they're being uh, assisted by armed uh, militia that work for the drug cartels as they make their way towards uh, the U.S.-Mexico border, especially when they get into Mexico. They have to pay taxes, was what they call it. Uh, in Mexico, it's called o plata o plomo. So you either pay taxes or you get killed. Um, so the, tra the trafficking organizations actually have to pay taxes to the drug cartels that control the territory. These children, these children, um, very few of them are, are documented even, even in their own countries. Uh, they have lack of medical care. Uh, some of them are traveling with their families. Some of them have been raped, abused, been brought into this country to be sold or to be put on the market. Uh, for uh, heinous purposes, pedophilia, let's just be frank. Right. There's a huge market here for that. Um, there is nothing about what is happening to these kids on this trail that end up in La Bestia. And I don't know if you remember in 2014, it was a huge rush and a flood under Obama of undocumented and unaccompanied minors. Uh, that were coming into the United States, uh, that so much so that it was a crisis. Even President Obama called it a crisis then. So what we're dealing with is some of the most uh, dangerous and most horrific criminals uh, in our hemisphere. And 
if we don't put a stop to this, if we don't understand what is happening to these children, what is happening to the people that are being brought here, and we perpetuate this behavior, we only have ourselves to blame. I think of the Democrats when they, when they bring up over and over again, oh, bring me your poor, bring me your hungry, we should let everybody in. What are they saying? They're saying, oh, we should allow this to continue. We should continue to allow this behavior by the drug cartels because if we don't change our laws, if we don't change what we're doing right now and actually face the truth about what is happening here, both to our own nation and to the people that are being lied to, they're being lied to. They're being told, and, and that's what I wanted to actually you're going to have a job. Yeah, I want to get to that line part. One of the questions that I have had when you think about um, the families who either send their children or accompany their children to come over here, I'm assuming that they're fed lies in order to do this. And then they get on this this long journey up north. They're obviously, many of them are leaving horrific conditions in their home countries. They did not sign up for what they end up experiencing, did they? This is, they're being lied to, they're being victimized this entire time. That's absolutely true. Um, and we have to remember that they are victims even when they enter the United States. So whether they come in and turn themselves in and then they're kicked loose because there's no place to hold them because we know that we can't hold children for more than 20 days and, and, and the cartels realize that um, and so that they're, they're kicked loose um, to report to court, which they never do. Remember, a lot of them are, are doing this on a, what they call financing through the cartels, so they don't have all the money up front. So they basically have to pay them back, even if they're here. Um, and they become slaves. They go into servitude for the cartels. Sometimes these people um, utilize teenagers by, or sometimes even a little bit older people that look younger. Uh, they put them in high schools. They become the drug dealers for the drug cartels, you know, recruiting uh, people for their gangs in high schools. Out here in Virginia, I talk to undercover cops all the time that are dealing with this. Or if you have small children, um, you know, they, they bring them in, and sometimes we don't even know where these children end up. Uh, they could be living with people that are their family or not their family. Uh, there was a big issue about, you know, doing some kind of DNA testing so that we can ensure that they are with people who say they are family or whether we're releasing them to family members. I've talked to a lot of Border Patrol agents and Immigration and Customs Enforcement officers who've told me, you know, we've literally had to let people go with kids that they say are their children, and we have no idea that these and, and kids belong to them. And of course, this isn't something that it's just affecting border cities or border states. We're talking about adults um, with children that are coming into various states across the country. So this is permeating our entire country. Obviously, um, the issue of sexual trafficking is is something that doesn't just happen in other countries. It happens in this country. And like you were saying, that the border, what's happening at the border is leading to that. And I want to play another clip. This is from Republican Congressman from Texas, Will Hurd. He's talking about how they're having to deal with asylum seekers because of, first of all, like you said, trying to figure it out, but also how many are actually coming here. So let's play that clip. But we shouldn't be treating everybody who shows up at the border as an asylum seeker. Um, all of them are not That's claiming right. credible fear. Why, why are the men and women in Border Patrol and ICE being told to handle everybody as if they are an asylum seeker? They have something called expedited removal. Do we really find that the people who are trying to figure out who's here, 
because of a real asylum status and that they're going about the appropriate way. Are people even trained and have the ability time-wise and all the tools they need to even be able to handle all the people that are coming over here? No, we do not have the resources to handle uh, the, the asylum claims. And, and why? Because the majority of people that are crossing that border illegally have already been briefed by the cartels, um, e- even here sometimes, by lawyers um, with, uh, with, with specific groups, um, you know, special interest groups, uh, that all they need to do is claim asylum. Uh, I could tell you, looking at uh, talking to Border Patrol agents as well as ICE agents and adjudicators, they all have the same story. They all know exactly what to say. Um, they will say, I'm either fleeing gangs, um, I'm a victim of domestic violence, uh, I'm a political prisoner, uh, or I'm afraid that um, I'll be targeted by uh, my government. Uh, the gang thing is a big deal for Central Americans. They know that they can utilize that, and that's something that's, that's very common uh, for them to say, even if they're not under threat. They'll just say it because they know that the minute they file for uh, political asylum, that they will be now they have to go to the courts. Now they have to go to the courts, and our court system is so backlogged. I believe there's over 850,000 backlogged cases. Wow. Um, it's it's extraordinary. We don't even have the judges, the immigration judges, to handle this. Uh, this is why the president, you know, is proposing, you know, a fee to process their applications. Uh, say, you know, well, we just, we can't continue this. We just don't have the resources, the financial resources, or the, um, or the manpower to handle all of these applications. It's, it's true. A lot of people come to this country seeking a better life. Everyone, I would think, wants a better life. But you can't come here just for a job. You can, but you have to apply the, the, the correct way. And what they figured out was a loophole. And the loophole is if you claim asylum, if you claim that you've been harmed, uh, that you'll be let in. And I'll, let me give you one quick example. There was, an, there was an actual case. I actually saw this, and I spoke to the ICE official. Uh, and, and this has been basically kind of an unspoken word, especially under the Obama administra- administration, that they would let every single asylum claim in. I mean, it was rarely a case that was denied. Uh, and there was a woman, and I can't get over this, that actually claimed that her next-door neighbor was a witch and had hit her house with a lightning bolt. This what? is true. And the adjudicator adjudicated them right into the country. I actually saw it. They couldn't say no because it was more, it was more difficult what they were going to be dealing with from their supervisors to say no to asylum claims than just saying yes and stamping people right in. Yeah. And I, I do think that, and we mentioned this earlier, one of the good area or one of the areas where we've seen progress is at least it seems that there is bipartisan agreement that there is a crisis going on. Um, it took a long time for Democrats to come around. I agree with you. I think President Trump pushed on this narrative and didn't back down for quite a while in order to get to this point. The question is now, what is politically feasible for everybody to say that there's a crisis or the majority of people to say that there is a crisis, yet we're seeing no movement on these issues? First of all, why is that? And second, do you think that there is a way for compromise between Republicans and Democrats? I hope there's a way for compromise between Republicans and Democrats, and I think there will be. Uh, You know, I think it comes to a point where, you know, the constituents 
are going to require that their representatives represent them and do their job. And I think for both sides, for both sides, um, both Republicans and Democrats, there has to be a little give and take. We're not going to resolve this crisis in one day. Um, We're not going to resolve it in one week. But if we look at each part of this crisis. Remember, it's, it's not just about building the wall. The wall is significant. It's important. It does mitigate the flow, and it allows our um, law enforcement officials to better resource what they have um, and, and put their resources in the right place, which is basically protecting our border and the national security threat along the U.S.-Mexico border. That's their job, first and foremost, and the wall can help with that. But it's also changing the laws, it's also finding new solutions. It's being realistic. And it's, first and foremost, holding our southern neighbors accountable as well, saying, if you're, going to, uh, if you're going to ask for us to help you financially, um, you need to do your part to help your people and to keep them in your country. And this is going to be a challenge because there's a lot of corruption um, in Mexico and in you know Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, there are a lot of issues with corruption, and uh, the drug cartels and the trafficking organizations have a strong foothold in those countries. But we can work together, both Democrats and Republicans, and both the United States and our neighbors, to find a solution. One, it is a humanitarian crisis, and if we really do care about the people, both in our nation, Americans who have the right to feel safe and have the right to law and order and our neighbors so that they can live out their lives in their own homelands, uh, you know, with peace uh, and without corruption, then we have to work together to find those solutions. I don't think it's a pipe dream. I think it's, it can be done, but it has to be done one piece at a time. And we really have to have the right people on board that understand these issues, that can resolve these problems without being afraid of uh, it getting political, just speaking the truth and, uh, and finding solutions. And final question for you is more from a personal angle. So obviously you're, you're very firm in your um, perspective on, on these issues. You're outspoken. I have no doubt you have tons of Twitter um, trolls in, in your Twitter feed that <laughs> respond to you. What about people out there who agree with you but are afraid to speak up? They're afraid to be told that they're racist or anti-immigrant or anything along those lines. Do you have any advice for people on how you've been able to, to weather some of the comments? Um, because um, frankly, these days, no matter what your perspective is on issues, somebody's going to say something negative about you. But how have you been able to weather it? Because this is such a hot, controversial issue. It is. Look, my mother was an immigrant. She came here. I speak Spanish fluently. She came here from Cuba in the late 1960s on the Johnson Freedom Flights, didn't speak any English, uh, learned English when she arrived. I understand how difficult this is for people when they're looking for a better life, when they really are fleeing uh, political, uh, for political purposes or because of tragedies in their own homelands. I think the important thing for people to remember is not to be afraid. I mean, this is really a humanitarian crisis, and I, 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 
I truly understand and, and know this because I've experienced it. I've talked with the children that have crossed the border. I've met with them. I've spoken to young girls who've been raped by the people that were supposed to be bringing them across uh, to meet their families, quote-unquote. Uh, if we really care about what's happening here, we will find a way to resolve this problem. And I think viewing it in that perspective and viewing it from the perspective of national security is the way to do it. This is the only way to challenge those on the other side. And I can tell you this because I've had these debates before with people on the left, with Democrats, some who I respect very much because we can have a normal conversation. We have to get to a point in this country where we can talk again, not rhetoric, but based on facts and say, okay, let's take a step back and see what both sides have to say about this issue and see if there's some way we can meet in the middle to resolve this crisis. I believe this administration can do that, and I believe it's important for the American people to speak out and to really think through their arguments. Um, it's very difficult. This is a really emotional issue for a lot of people. So I think having the facts in your hands and being able to go back to those facts and looking at them objectively is a is the way to handle this. And once you do that, you're not going to make everybody happy, and that's okay. But they can't come after you for being anti-immigrant. You know, this is a nation built upon so many different beautiful cultures and people. We're just a melting pot, and we have our own culture that we gladly share with those who come into our country and, and are a part of this great society. Um, and I, I, I think we will continue to be that way. I think if we allow the abuse to continue, though, of our system, and if we fail to um, uphold the law and allow our government to do what it's meant to do, then that's where the breakdown happens, and that's where people start fighting one another uh, because they either feel sidelined or not listened to. I think now is the time um, for all of us to just uh, realize that, come together, not be afraid to speak out, point out when you see something, say something. You know, there's a lot of children here that are being abused, and there's a lot of people that are being abused as well. And, um, and we, we should put a stop to this, uh, particularly before it gets any worse. And we've seen it exacerbated over this past year. Well, Sarah, thank you so much uh, for all your work on this. I think you've done a really good job of breaking through the clutter and the misinformation that's often reported on this. For those listening, you can find her stories uh, at sarahcarter.com and, of course, follow her on Twitter. But, Sarah, from all of us at She Thinks, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Beverly. It was great being with you. 